This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today you'll learn how to unlock the secret language of connection with Pulitzer Prize, Pulitzer? Pulitzer Prize winning reporter and best-selling author, Charles Duhigg. In our headlines, while the Dow Jones goes crazy, one segment of the market is decidedly not going up. What is it? We'll not only tell you, but share what it has to do with personal finance. Plus, we'll hear why one stacker decided they'd better call Saul, Siha, and OG. And of course, I'll share some list-worthy trivia. And now, a guy who's here to connect with all of you, and also OG. Hey, stackers. Welcome to the Connection Making Podcast, where we connect you with better money decisions in a uh, relaxed, fun way. So sit back because we're about to bring it. Charles Duhigg, New York Times Pulitzer. best-selling author. Pulitzer. Charles Duhigg. Pulitzer. Pulitzer. <laughs> Pulitzer. 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 That's like saying, well, I don't know. because it is Pulitzer. Is it puberty or puberty? Yeah, pew. Pew, pew. It's pew. Pew, pew. So, yeah. I just got here, guys. What What's going on? He's like, <laughs> no idea. Welcome to the show, man. We're just talking about Charles Duhigg is here again, man. Uh, of course, you read The Power of Habit, I think. 
Oh. Good stuff. Yes, I was cheering. Yeah, Mr. Duhig waiting in the wings. We got a great, great, great headline before that. But you know, before that, OG, I was just thinking that you haven't shared any recipes on the show recently. Oh, well, <laughs> this is going to sound a little disgusting, but. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. But why do you put the butter there? It just helps everything slide around, you know? Oh, keeps. Uh, so then you, then you do, do what with the thermometer? Oh, God. Well, I mean, with the thermometer, you have to check the internal temperature of your meat all the time. Uh, yeah. But the yeah. most important thing is... We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they can also be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. Oh, God. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. U.S. Cellular, a company that sells phones, wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. Wow, that sounds really delicious. As soon as we're done recording, we're taking that up to mom. We've got Charles Duhigg here. We've got a great headline. Let's get started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from the Wall Street Journal and is written by John Sindrow. Silicon Valley needs to accept that insurance is boring. <laughs> I, I didn't know okay. that Silicon Valley thought Are they fighting that? that? <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's a title where we're mixing it up. All of a sudden, we're going to get all kinds of insurance isn't boring. I love insurance. It's so exciting. It's Nothing so better. exciting. John writes, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. Oh, there we go. Hate it ah. when the audience gets bored, but they may need to elicit more yawns if they're to transform insurance. Enthusiasm for artificial intelligence continues to power the stock market, but it isn't giving a second wind to companies committed to revolutionizing insurance through technology or insure tech. Shares and listed players such as Lemonade, Root, and Hippo have been trading sideways. Meanwhile, global insuretech funding fell to $4.5 billion in 2023, a 44% decrease from the previous year, according to fresh data by reinsurance broker Gallagher Reinsure. While the uh, sector is coming off the free money craze of 2021, participation in mega deals was the lowest since 2017 last year. So this, number one, there's, there's so many things to parse here, OG. Number one is... When you look at getting into sector bets with your investment, right? I like this sector of the market. I like this sector. I think this is going to be a big one. A few years ago, InsureTech was kind of all we were talking about. And now Silicon Valley wants nothing to do with giving insurers in fintech land any money. And because of that, the stock is, uh, is not performing that well. Yeah. So what you're talking about here is the investment in the technology of making insurance more 
interesting or accessible or lower cost or whatever. And we've seen a number of companies that were at the forefront of this kind of fizzle away when it comes to, uh, or be acquired. We saw one big one. Yeah. Or just kind of, that's not the business we're going to be in anymore. Technology is super important from, from a process standpoint. The way that insurance companies can use AI is very much in process, technology around application, decision-making, like that sort of stuff. The fact of the matter still remains is that it's a tough thing to talk about. Like, hey, look at how sexy this thing is. This is if you get hit by a bus and your brains are splattered all over the place. Isn't it cool that your family's going to be rich? Like you can't, you know, how do you make that exciting? Or disability insurance is not exciting. It's meant to be a really heavy thing. So if you can't crack the code on that, I don't know that there's a lot of upside in trying to gamify or technologify. Is that... uh, could I check with the uh, committee on that one? No, Te- yeah, you nailed it. Technology. Yeah, that's the okay. one. Good job. Move on. That part of your financial plan, I just, I mean, it's going to suck regardless. But imagine a few years ago, OG, you thought, you know what, based on all the money pouring into these companies, I remember us reporting on this in 2021, so much money pouring into that section of the market, and we saw all kinds of new companies competing with our sponsor at the time, Haven Life, a subsidiary, a fintech subsidiary of Mass Mutual, that Mass Mutual finally this year said, you know what, we're done with uh, InsureTech. And they took all of the cool things Haven Life was doing that we love so much and just folded it up and moved it back into Mass Mutual. So now they're a piece of, of the parent well, That's what you again. saw. That's I mean, you see that in a lot of different things in a lot of the robo trading investment platforms, a technology spins up and then a bigger organization comes in and goes, well, that's cool. We don't have to develop our own stuff. We'll just buy this one for a billion dollars or whatever. You know, I mean, I'm still waiting for somebody to call me about my technology that they want to buy for a billion dollars. But, you know, we see that in all sorts of different industries. So it's not that it's lost. You know, the investment in process, the investment in in the technology isn't gone. It's just not in the same format as it was. What I don't want to see is I don't want to see these companies get absorbed that are on the forefront of trying to do better things and then turn around and all of that intellectual capital gets lost in the in the bureaucracy of the 150 year old organization you know that's a terrible use of ip i think it's also dangerous to just invest to pick a part of the market you think is going to go well i mean we don't know how long insuretech uh stocks will do poorly any companies in this sector will will do well but i will tell you this og this is some this is where i think this helps on a personal finance basis i love john's paragraph here He writes, insurance needs innovation. Natural catastrophes are pushing up premiums and leaving households unprotected. Personal car insurance has become prohibitive while still losing money for underwriters. Some smaller insurance lines remain an afterthought. Almost a decade since Californian innovators descended upon the industry, however, few such issues have been solved. They will pick the lock on this. And when they do, I think while they're trying to pick the lock on this, what happens? I mean, we live in a capitalist society. These companies exist to make money. They find ways to make money or they go out of business. I think this is a great reminder that you need to once every year, every couple of years, go back to your auto insurance, your homeowner's coverage, your renter's insurance, and not just look at pricing them through different companies again, just see what's out there in the market. Because this market, I think, is really poised to change. 
Well, we've seen all the sides of the not so fun part of the change, you know, with the increased costs and the insurance premiums going up exponentially. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago that that we should be expecting another 20 to 30% increase in car insurance across the board. Well, you know, if, if that's not enough. Oh, also, it's a great idea to have a 16-year-old driver. Ooh, you know. <laughs> Bragger. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me tell you how let me tell you how wealthy I am. I have two 16-year-old drivers in my family. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What a flash cowboy. Show off. I, I can still pay my mortgage. <laughs> I mean, we're down to eating ramen every day, but kids can drive to school. That's the issue, I think, around how are we going to solve the affordability component of this is like there needs to be a faster process for insurance companies to react to market changes as opposed to wading through the bureaucracy of state and local governments for years and years and years, and then, bam, dumping that all on consumers all at one time. What's going to happen in the meantime, though, I think the insurance brokers out there can see these cost increases coming. They know what the issues are. They are more likely to share with me as much information as they possibly can to help me somehow cost contain, like show me what, what discounts I'm eligible for. You know, your kids, OG, are good at uh, school. I know that when my kids were in high school, I was very surprised to find out that there, if, if we sent the report card to the insurance company, we got a discount for good grades for our teenage drivers. That helped off. It didn't, it didn't come anywhere near offsetting the cost, no. but it was a little bit less because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice flex with your kids having good grades. I see how you snuck that in there. <laughs> well, I was saying that his kids had good grades. Uh. I was trying to be complimentary. I see. I'm trying to be a super communicator before I talk to Charles Duhigg about super communicating. <laughs> super communicators are givers. They offer stuff up. Okay. It's getting deep. OG, please say speaking something of, intelligent. Speaking <laughs> of super communicators, we have one in the wings. How about we just transition to that, Doug? <laughs> Charles Duhigg not only writes for The New Yorker, he also is a guy who wrote a best-selling book called The Power of Habit. Well, he is back in mom's basement for another go round. I love talking to Charles. He has so many phenomenal stories to illustrate these important points that we need. And one important point, we need to do a better job of communicating. We need to communicate what we want. We need to communicate with our boss. We need to communicate with our family. And if we're going to stack Benjamin's communication, which people call a soft skill, truly is very, very hard. We're going to talk to Charles in a moment about how to do that. But before that, Doug, you're going to super communicate some trivia for us. Sure am. Watch and learn, Joe. I mean, uh, listen and learn, Joe. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. On this day in 1878, the first ever telephone directory was issued. Crazy to think that until then, people had to go house to house, airdropping contacts to one another. That must have taken ages, especially since cars hadn't even been invented yet. Come to think of it. I bet that was a big motivation for the invention of cars. Personally, I could use an excuse to collect fewer phone numbers. I can't keep track of who half these people are. I got numbers for nine different Megans alone. They're all spelled differently too. There's Megan with an H, Meghan. There's Megan with a Y, Megan. I can't remember what any of them look like either. How am I supposed to supposed to untangle this mess? Can't even untangle my tongue. Ask all of them to send a picture to me? Wait, that's... Wait a second. That's a great idea. I'll text a photo of myself to everyone first so they know it's really me, and then I'll ask them to send one back. Oh, yeah. Man. 
I'm pretty clever. Hey, today's trivia question is, which New England state issued the first ever telephone directory? I'll be back right after I decide which photo of myself to send. I'm thinking either the one of me carrying logs or the one of me washing my El Camino on a hot day. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested that can increase the potential for compound returns in other words your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread you'll never picture your money in the same way again betterment the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle visit betterment.com to get started investing involves risk performance is not guaranteed well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because... Well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey there, stackers. I'm El Camino model and probably the most popular guy in Texarkana, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I've already gotten a lot of responses for my uh, photo request. Did, uh, did not go as I had hoped. You, you wouldn't believe the photos some men have sent me just because I sent a photo of myself washing my car shirtless in uh, short shorts. It's not an invitation to send similar photos, dudes. Today's trivia question is, which New England state issued the first telephone directory? The answer, the very first phone directory ever printed in 1878 was a single card that listed only 50 names and addresses. Believe it or not, our very own Joe Saul Cihai was one of them. Wow, he's come on. <laughs> that was good, Doug. Oh. Nice job, Doug. Anyway, the New England state that issued the card is Connecticut. And now here to teach you how to Connecticut with anyone. See what I did there? I still got it. It's today's mentor, Charles Duhigg. 
I'm super happy. He's back with us at the card table. Charles Duig's here. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this project, Charles, was was personal. I was surprised to read. Like you just wanted to be a better communicator yourself. That's basically it. And there was a number of reasons why, right? Like I was screwing up at communication at work. And then at home, I would go through this experience that I'm certain is probably familiar to you, many people who are listening, where like I would come home from a bad day at work and I would start complaining to my wife about my boss doesn't understand me and my coworkers don't appreciate me. And she would have this very good practical advice. She would say, like, look, why don't you just take your boss out for lunch and you would and, and you guys can get to know each other a little bit better? Instead of hearing her advice, I would like be like, you don't understand. I just want you to support me. Why aren't you more supportive? <laughs> and I was trying to figure out, like, I'm a communicator for, professionally. I'm a journalist. Like, why am I so bad? Why do I screw this up so frequently? And so I started talking to all these experts and they were like, look, here's the big mistake you're making. You think that conversations are one thing. But actually, every discussion is made up of multiple conversations. And and in that particular case, you were having an emotional conversation and your wife was having a practical conversation. And if you're not having the same kind of conversation at the same time, you're not going to feel like you connect. Well, I bet. So your spouse, you're telling me, is very happy you wrote this book. <laughs> yes, yes. Although <laughs> now I will admit that like just last week at dinner, I was kind of like monologuing about something and she uh-huh. was like – you know, there's this book that I've read <laughs> that might be helpful. <laughs> like, come on, Mr. Communicator. You're right. <laughs> yeah, she'll hold that over your head now. Uh, <laughs> you begin this project by talking about how great communicators may not, may not look the way we think they look. Uh, tell us about this gentleman in the FBI. I think this is a great story to kind of get us going on this journey. Absolutely. And, and this gets to something really deep, right? Which is that we tend to think of super communicators as like Bill Clinton. And they're not. We are all super communicators. We all have the, we, at times, we know how to super communicate. And it's about tapping into those instincts. So you mentioned Jim Lawler. So Jim Lawler's this guy. He's hired by the CIA. He like was so desperate to become a CIA officer. He's 31 years old. They train him, they send him to the farm. And what he learns during the training for the CIA field operations is that basically the CIA is a communications agency. Their job is not to like, steal secrets and be in corners, it's to go to parties and it's to make friends with people with the hopes that someday you can have a conversation about a sensitive topic that might clarify what's actually going on. And so Jim Lawler shows up, he's sent to Europe and he just tries everything he can to recruit people. There's this guy who works in the Chinese embassy and Lawler butters him up and takes him out to drinks like 12 times. And then eventually he's like, you know, would you consider telling me about the gossip you guys talk about in the embassy? And the guy was like, you know, it's interesting you ask that because my government assassinates people for stuff like that. So no, I'm not going to do that. Hard pass. Exactly. And so Lawler's just like striking out again and again. He's actually certain he's going to get fired. And he probably was about to get fired. And then someone inside his the CIA field office there says, there's this young woman, Yasmin, who's coming into town. She works for the foreign ministry in her home government, which is in the Middle East somewhere. Why don't you get to know her? So so Lawler figures out where she's going to lunch. He sits next to her at lunch. He introduces himself as an oil speculator. And they start going to lunch regularly. They become friendly. Eventually, he tells her, I'm a CIA officer. I'm hoping that you would consider working with us. And she freaks out. She's like, no, I can't do that. My government kills people for things like that. And she leaves. Now, in the meantime, she had told Lawler – that she was really unhappy at home, that her country had been taken over by these religious fundamentalists, 
that she wanted to do something meaningful with her life, and she felt like she was working for for a government that was opposed to her values. So Lawler convinces her to have one more dinner with him. Like this is his last ditch effort because he's basically been told if you can't recruit her, you're out of the agency. And he tries during dinner. She's really down because she's about to go back to her home country. She's feeling really bad about it. And Lawler's trying to cheer her up and tell her stories and make her feel better. And none of it's working. And then he has this moment as he described it to me that he's sitting there and he remembers when he used to be a salesman. Before he joined the CIA, he worked for his dad selling metal parts in West Texas. And he went to go call on this one customer. He was terrible as a salesman, couldn't sell anything. He goes to call on this one customer and it's this woman whose kid is there. He like makes a spiel and she's like, I'm not really interested in your Joyce. It's okay. But then she just starts talking about how hard it is to be a mom and a business person, how challenging it is. She feels like she's never doing both of them right. Lawler's listening to this and he's he's at this point like 26 years old. He has no idea what to say back. He doesn't have kids himself. So he just does the same thing. He starts talking about how hard it is to work for his dad. And that his brother's a better salesman than he is, and he feels really jealous of him, and he feels bad about feeling jealous. Just oversharing. Yeah, just totally oversharing. And at that point, he's like, look, I've screwed up the sale. I might as well just let her know what's going on with me. And he leaves, and then she calls two weeks later and places the biggest order of his career. Wow. And he's like, why are you ordering from me? Like, our pricing isn't even better than some of our competitors. And she says, I just felt really close to you. And he realizes that's how to be a salesperson, right? The way to be a salesperson is to meet people where they are. If they show you a vulnerability, show them a vulnerability back. Listen to what they really want to talk about. Do they want to talk about pricing or do they want to talk about their lives? And as he's sitting at dinner with Yasmin, he realizes he's been doing the exact opposite. Yasmin's upset and depressed in front of him, and he's trying to cheer her up instead of meeting her, matching her where she's at. So that's what he does. He just starts saying like, I'm really worried I'm about to get fired. Like I actually am terrible at this job and it's the job I've wanted my entire life. And he talks for 15 minutes. And then at the end of it, Yasmin starts crying and Lawler's like, oh my God, I've screwed this up so bad. I, I'm just going to leave. And he says, please stop crying. I'm really, really sorry. And she goes, no, no, I can do this. This is important. I want to help you. And that was it. He recruited his first agent. She came into the safe house the next day. She learned all these covert communication. She was one of the best Middle East assets for the next 20 years. But the reason why is because Lawler learned to become a super communicator. And the most fundamental thing about being a super communicator is figuring out what kind of conversation the person you're talking to wants to have. Is it a practical conversation? Is it an emotional conversation? Is it a social conversation? And then meeting them there, matching them. This is actually known as the matching principle within psychology because that's how we connect with people. Have you ever read uh, Tony Hillerman novels? The old, yeah. Uh, oh, I grew up in New Mexico. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. reading those, Charles, because of all the Navajo culture and learning so much just, just through all of his fun, sometimes very campy writing. But I remember Joe Leaphorn from the Tony Hillerman novels. And Joe Leaphorn had this rule that I've used. And it's funny as I'm reading your work. I'm reading Joe Leaphorn because Joe Leaphorn would walk into a bank to talk to a teller about a transaction that he legally cannot ask anything about. He cannot <laughs> know anything about, but he realizes that if he shares a little bit about him 
and maybe says a little bit more than the woman really needs to know, she will overshare back. That's exactly right. And so Joe Leaphorn does. And and by the way, I found that work for me. And I've always called it the Joe Leaphorn rule. And now it's the super <laughs> communicator rule. Well, and, and like what's really interesting is our brains have evolved to be really good at communication and to crave connection, right? So, you know, half a million years ago, the individuals in a village that succeeded were the ones who could make connections with other people and could communicate better. Communication is human superpower. And so we're actually really good at communicating. Now, in the contemporary world, oftentimes we can get in our own way. We forget how to communicate because now we're trying to communicate online or now we're sort of distracted by modern life. I think the point of of super communicators is to remind people of some basic principles of how communication works, principles that we now understand much better than before because of advances in neuroimaging and and advances in brain science. And once we understand those, it helps people just remember, oh, this is what I should do. If I'm vulnerable with someone, they're going to be vulnerable back. If I ask them the right kind of question, they're going to trust me more. If they're practical minded and I come in with like some sob story, they're not going to care. They want to like get the problem solved. And so part of it's just reminding us what we know about communication because this is the thing. Anyone can be a super communicator. All of us are at times. It's just about knowing the skills you need to do it more consistently. Well, let's talk about one of those skills then, Charles, because I'm thinking about Lawler with Yasmin and I'm thinking about you with your spouse. Does it just begin with more questions up front? Is that a good place to begin? Absolutely. So so two things. One of the things that we know is that people who are consistently super communicators, they tend to ask 10 to 20 times more questions than the average person. Mm. But we don't really notice it because a lot of the questions are things like, oh, that's interesting. Or like, oh, tell me more about that. Or what you think, right? They're like these questions that, that we don't even perceive as questions, but they're actually invitations for us to share who we are with someone. And they're listening closely to that. But then there's a certain kind of question that's more powerful than other questions, and these are known as deep questions. And they're questions that ask about our values or our beliefs or our experiences. And when we call them a deep question, it sounds like that's really probing and intimate, but it could be as simple as asking someone like, what do you do for a living? And then asking them, oh, did you always want to be a lawyer? Do you love practicing law? That's a deep question because it's asking someone to tell you about their experiences, about their values and their beliefs. If you ask someone a question like that, or, you know, where'd you go to high school? What do you think you learned in high school? Like, what was the best part of high school for you? Now, suddenly you're, you're giving someone an opportunity to talk about their childhood and their coming of age to share these important moments with you. Asking these deep questions creates a little bit of a sense of vulnerability in the positive sense. And what we know is that within psychology, there's a principle known as emotional reciprocity, which is when you say something vulnerable or emotional, if I reply with something that's a little vulnerable or emotional about myself, we will automatically feel closer to each other. We, we actually can't even fight it. That's Joe Leaphorn right there. That's exactly it. That's yeah. exactly it. As you're talking, I'm wondering... I probably begin by asking questions first because you talk about how there's a negotiation going on at the beginning of every conversation and how quickly it is. And Charles, most of the time we miss most of the clues. And if we just spend a little bit more time seeing some of these clues as they fly by us, we're going to do better. I'm assuming, you know, I told you the story about Joe Leaphorn where he shares, but it sounds like really to use this correctly, 
asking that question so I know where I'm meeting them is probably a better place than me going, hey, Charles, I feel like crap today. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's my burden on your back. (laughs) Exactly. I would say that in the real world, the Joe Leaphorn method would be to ask a question first and then share second. Mm -hmm. Here's a good example of that quiet negotiation. So we've talked before. We sort of have a little bit of history, but let me ask you, when someone's on your show, What's the first thing that you usually ask them to help them get comfortable? Wow. I don't even know. It's probably automatic, right? Yeah. Well, and it generally is always about them and their work and and how appreciative I am of them spending time with us. I think what you just said is really, really important that you said, like, I show that I'm curious about them, right? I'm asking them something about themselves, but then I'm reciprocating what they're giving me by showing them how appreciative I am that they shared with me, that they're spending time with me. That is the super communicator bundle, right? Like that's why you're so good at doing podcasts is because you intuitively understand like, I want to show you that I'm curious about you. And when you come back with something open and genuine, I want to tell you how much I appreciate that and then reciprocate it. Like that's one of the things I noticed about your communication method is that like, if I give you energy, you give me the energy back. That's the matching principle. And as a result, we just feel more trusting. In fact, It's hardwired into our brain to feel more trusting of people who do that. Stop, Charles. Keep going. Stop. Keep going. Stop. Let's just talk about how awesome I am, please. If we could just do that for the next 15 minutes. I do want to talk about how often, you know, you and your wife were having two different conversations. Yeah. You tell a great story about a doctor and certainly we go see our doctor. Doctors were there for a reason. This doctor learned a great communication lesson. Who's who's helping people with cancer? Can you tell his story? Yeah, I, I love. It. Thank you for asking because I love that story. And just to give folks a, a sort of framework for this, I mentioned that there's different kinds of conversations. Most conversations fall into one of three buckets. As I mentioned, there's these practical conversations, right, where we're trying to solve a problem, trying to like make a plan. Then there's emotional conversations. In an emotional conversation. I don't want you to solve anything for me. I, I just want you to understand how I feel and I want to hear how you feel. And then there's social conversations. And social conversations are about how we relate to other people, how other people see us, how our identities influence, how we listen and hear. And so there's this doctor, Dr. Um, Bafar Adai, who works at Sloan Kettering in New York City. He's a surgeon that works on prostate tumors. And so every day, men come in who have just learned that they have prostate cancer and they're totally freaked out. And they come into his clinic. And he thinks that he knows what his job is. His job is to give them medical advice, right? He's a doctor. They're in his clinic. And so what he would tell all of them is he would say, look, the most certain way to treat this is to cut out the cancer, right? To do the surgery. But the problem is the prostate is located close to the nerves that control urination and sexual function. Mm -hmm. So for some percentage of patients, they become incontinent and and they they can't have sex going forward. And so he's like, look, the best advice I can give you is instead of having the surgery, do this thing called active surveillance, which is basically we're going to watch the tumor. We're going to take blood every six months, do an MRI every two years. As long as it's not getting big faster than we expected, we're not going to do anything else. We're not going to do any treatment, no chemo, nothing. And he he told me he thought this would be the easiest conversations of his life, right? He is telling patients, you do not have to have a risky surgery, but the same thing would happen again and again. The patient listens to him, says that's really interesting, goes home, thinks about it that night, talks it over with their spouse, comes in the next morning and they're like, nope, I want you to cut me open. Like take the take the tumor out right away. And he can't figure out what's going on. Like why are all these people, they came to him because he's an expert and now they're, they're basically, he thinks ignoring their advice, but what's actually happening 
is they can't hear his advice, right? They're not hearing what he's trying to say. So he talks to some communication experts, particularly these guys at Harvard Business School. And they're like, look, you're doing this all wrong. You're assuming you know what kind of conversation they want to have. Next time a patient comes in, instead of just giving them advice, ask them this question. Ask them, what does this cancer mean to you? That's a deep question. It's asking about kind of like values and beliefs. A couple of weeks later, the 62-year-old patient comes in. Dr. Dai begins by saying to him, what does this cancer or what does this diagnosis mean to you? And the guy starts talking about how his own father died when he was 14 years old and how it devastated his mom and he wouldn't want to do that to his wife. And then he starts talking about like his kids and his grandchildren and climate change and he's really worried about the future. He talks for 10 minutes. He never mentions the cancer once, right? He never, never asks a question about the cancer. And Dr. Dai realizes, oh, this guy needs to have an emotional conversation. This is an emotional event for him. And so Dr. Dai meets him on the emotional level. He starts talking about when his dad had gotten diagnosed with an illness about six years prior, how devastating it was for them, but that it actually brought them together. They like had these conversations that he had never had before with his dad. And once they have this emotional conversation, once Dr. Dai matches him and invites him to match it back, then eventually they can move to the practical conversation. Dr. Dai can say, look, can I tell you about treatment options? He's inviting the, the patient to match him in return. And the man says, yeah, tell me what tell me what we should do. And Dr. Adai suggests active surveillance. And the guy's like, absolutely, that's what I want to do. The number of patients opting for active surveillance went up 60% wow. simply by changing the first question that he asked. Because he started basically asking, what kind of conversation do you want to have? And then matching people and inviting them to match back. And that story, Charles, reminded me of uh, the best doctor that I've ever had. What I liked about it was that most doctors, you know, you take your shirt off, you're sitting there half naked and they're telling you about your prognosis. And all I can think of is I'm uh, sitting here naked while yeah. you're telling me what's going on. This guy would have me get dressed. We go to his office, sit at his desk with me fully clothed where I could, I could think and I could actually, you know, I'm not thinking about all this other stuff. We're able to have this conversation back and forth, the two of us, which makes me think that listening, the doctor actually listening plays a big part in this. Tell me about listening and super communicators. And the truth is that those earlier doctors, they probably were listening, but they didn't try and convince you they were listening, right? They didn't prove oh, right. to you that right. they were listening. Right. And you're exactly right. This is a huge part of it is that even if we're listening to someone, they don't know that we're listening unless we prove it to them. And there's there's a, actually like a technique that they teach like in negotiation programs. It's really simple for proving you're listening. They call it looping for understanding, which is you ask someone a question, they answer your question. Then the second step is just repeat back in your own words what they just told you to prove to them that you heard them. And then the third step, and this is the most important step that we often forget, is say, did I get that right? Like, did I hear you correctly? Mm. If you do this, they this they teach this in like conflict negotiation. They teach this in management classes. If you do this looping for understanding, these three steps, the other person suddenly believes that you are listening to them. And as a result, they become much more willing to listen to you, right? This reciprocity comes in where they believe that you're listening to them. And so they want to listen to you in return. And this looping for understanding, once you kind of have it in your head, it's really easy to do. It feels very natural. It is the number of techniques, as I was reading through this, that are so 
easy to implement was astounding. Like we could all oh, be thanks. so much better communicators than, than we are. Well, and I'll tell you one of my favorites that we mentioned in the book, but I think it's just an easy thing to remember in our head, which is they teach us in schools all the time now to teachers. If your spouse comes up, if your kid comes up, if a coworker comes up and they're, there's something obviously that they want to get off their chest, they want to talk about. Oftentimes what I'll do is I'll say, look, I want to get into this with you. Do you want to be heard, helped, or hugged? If you're saying that you want to be heard, then I know what you're really saying to me is this is a social conversation where like you want me to hear what you're saying because it imp- impacts our situation, but you don't want me to solve the problem. You just want me to acknowledge that I've heard you. If you say you want to be helped, then what you're looking for is you're looking for a practical conversation. You want me to figure out a solution with you. And if you say you want to be hugged, then what you're saying is, this is actually an emotional conversation. I want us to match each other on the emotional level. And it's this really easy thing to do to just say, look, do you want me to solve this problem or do you want me to understand the problem? Do you want to be heard, helped, or hugged? It's a way of encouraging the other person or inviting the other person to tell you what kind of conversation they want. And as a result, it's much easier to connect. I've been on the other side of that where someone asked me that. And and by the way, I remember this conversation so vividly, which shows how little we use that easy technique. <laughs> I remembered it, but I had a guy just tell me, Charles, he just goes, it sounds like you're venting. Do, do you want me to be a friend and just listen and you vent or do you want me to give you solutions? Like, what are you looking for? So it wasn't all How three. did that make you feel when you heard that? It actually made me feel really good, but it also made me feel maybe I shouldn't be venting. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Right. So I think that one thing is it does cause us to kind of examine why we're having this conversation. And sometimes we're like, I thought I wanted to vent, but actually now that you've put it that way, I want to find solutions, right? That, yeah. seems, like a, that seems like a better talk to have. But that's okay. That's okay, right? Because in a lot of ways, when you think about conversations, and you mentioned the quiet negotiation, the point of the quiet negotiation is to figure out what's the goal of this conversation. I have a goal in my head. You have a goal in your head. Oftentimes, we don't voice them. Sometimes we're not even totally aware of what our goal is, right? Until someone asks us and we're like, oh, my goal is to vent. Like, I don't care about your solutions. I just want to like vent. Once we get those goals a little bit surfaced, you're going to have a better conversation and you're going to feel closer to the person. You're going to feel more connected because fulfilling our goals is, feels really good. We don't know all the time that there's a big conversation coming up. You know, Cheryl and I will be out on a walk and all of a sudden I realize we're about to have a big conversation. Yeah. But to those conversations, Charles, that we do know are coming, how do we prep for those? It's a great question. And and oftentimes I think this happens in workplace settings, right? Like sure. you got to give an employee some like tough feedback or even with our kids where you're like, I got to sit down and we got to talk about something. The most important thing that you can do ahead of time is to try and figure out what do you actually want to accomplish? If I'm talking to my kid, do I want to understand their perspective and get them to understand my perspective? Or do I want to just give them an instruction and help them understand that instruction? So the number one thing you can do is to sit down and just write literally one sentence that says, this is what I want to accomplish. And then this is the mood that I hope that we achieve. Mm -hmm. I want to come to an agreement on the budget but I don't want it to be a tough conversation. I want it to be an easy conversation. I want to ask Maria if she wants to take a vacation with me, but I want to make it easy for her to say no. There was a study that was done at an investment bank where they found, and this is like an investment bank where people like tear each other's faces off all day long, right? They're (laughs) competing for deals or competing for bonuses. People fought like crazy. 
So these researchers go in and they say, okay, for the next week before every single meeting, everyone needs to write down one sentence where they say what they want to accomplish and what mood they hope this conversation will have. The incidence of arguments went down by 80%. Wow. Now, that doesn't mean that people agreed with each other all the time, right? They they still had differences of opinion. They were still competitive. But because people knew what they wanted to accomplish in that meeting, they went in much more focused on kind of getting their piece across and being able to hear what other people were saying. Because the truth is, you were mentioning with your wife, a big conversation suddenly erupts out of nowhere. Yeah. Part of what's hard about that is that you're not only trying to have the conversation, you're trying to figure out like what's going on. Like, right. like is this a big conversation? Should we be having this big conversation right now? Right. Like, am I about to say something that's going to completely infuriate her? I'm not going to bring up her mother. I don't like right? – like, <laughs> like you're trying to navigate through it. And the thing is, if you know you're going to have that conversation and you've just decided ahead of time, here's what I hope to accomplish and this is kind of the mood I hope to, to inspire – then you get to focus on the conversation. It just it lets you focus on the right thing. The book is Super Communicators, How to Unlock the Secret Language of Connection. And it's available everywhere yesterday, Charles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and if anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm at charlesduhig.com. Every email I get from a reader, I respond to. So wow. send me an email. Well, be ready for a flood from us, from our stackers. <laughs> Thanks for mentoring our stackers today on better communication. That's so helpful. Thanks a ton. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, this is Joe Crane, host of Veteran on the Move podcast. And when I'm not helping veterans transition to entrepreneurship, I'm stacking Benjamins. Thanks again to Charles Duhigg. Oh, gee, I was wondering if Doug's a spy. If you have to ask. <laughs> look at the look on his face. He does play that uh, weird music in the background. He does. What if he's the CIA spying on us? Wait, what? I don't know. Just huh? maybe, maybe huh? stacking Benjamins is spying on him. Oh, yeah, Doug. Maybe we're spying on Plot you. twist. Yes. <laughs> Huge thanks to, to Charles Duhigg. Always phenomenal stories and great lessons. Hey, time for Better Call Saul. See hi. And oh, gee, this is the part of the show where we have a stacker that calls in because they need financial help and we are directly the people to give it. If you've got a question for Better Call Saul segment, uh, head to stackingbenjamins.com slash voicemail. And guess what? Today, I know you guys have been waiting for his call. It's about time. Adam has finally called in. It's about time, Adam. Hey, Joe, OG, and Doug. Really enjoy the show and feel like I've learned a lot over the past few years of listening. My question today is in regards to dividend-paying stocks. I currently invest into both traditional and Roth IRAs, but with my sandbox money, I continue to buy a single dividend-paying stock that at this time is paying roughly 14% annually. My hope is that it continues to pay that dividend and the stock never gets delisted, but that's probably a lesson for another day. My question is in regards to the tax implications of receiving dividends. Is there a difference in how it's taxed if they are reinvested versus being withdrawn? Also, I have discussed this with someone else who told me that if you make under $40,000 a year, dividends are not taxed. Is there any truth to this? Also, I am married and I'm hopeful that I can retire early to live off these dividends while my wife continues to work for the health insurance benefits. Will her income affect the taxable implications of these dividends or is there no change in tax implications regardless of income? Any input would be greatly appreciated, and I can't wait to sport my new shirt. Thanks. 
Oh, we're sending a new shirt to you, Adam, for being brave and calling in. Hadn't even mentioned that, by the way, to everyone. Buying individual stocks, OG. I love this question. We haven't handled it in a while, and it's getting close to tax day. Some people might be getting a surprise going, wait a minute, I reinvested those dividends. Dividends. They sound so sexy. I would like the stocks with the highest dividends, please. When you go to the dividend supermarket, and you're like, hmm, which one of these should I have? Ooh. 14% sounds delightful. But we have to remember, here's the deal. When it comes to dividend payout, that's just another form of return. If you're getting a 14% payout on your dividend, you're not getting capital appreciation. And if you are, it's not going to last for a long time. I mean, the average big company, dividend payout is one and a half to two, give or take, dividend percentage. And what is a dividend anyway? Dividend is the profits from a company being distributed to shareholders. So Apple last quarter announced that they made $33 billion, I think. So you go, well, I'm getting all 33 billion of that. No, because they say, we'll give you a little for being an owner, but the rest we need to use for our company to grow it so that we can add more revenue in the future. If they're paying out a 14% dividend, that means that they're paying out a lot of their cash flow to their investors and not finding good reinvestment opportunities within the business, which is not particularly good. I don't know that I would build my financial plan around a dividend stock that's paying 7x what Coca-Cola pays. And I certainly wouldn't do it for an investment in one singular organization, you know, notwithstanding diversification purposes. And and uh, Adam even said, I hope it doesn't get delisted, which means that it's not even tradable on the stock market anymore. So it's obviously a stock that's lower valued. Uh, a couple of other things you mentioned, tax rates. So yeah, qualified dividends are taxed at a, at a more preferential tax rate. Qualified dividends are dividends that are uh, issued by uh, specific corporations and you've held them for a period of time. Uh, so I don't know if your stock is a qualified dividend or not. If so, then qualified dividends are taxed at a lower rate. If you're married and your adjusted gross income is under about 90000 the tax rate on dividends is zero. So uh, your friend was kind of correct. He was just thinking about single income earners. But if you're married, I'm assuming that you're filing joint because you know that's what people do. And the tax rate's zero under 90. And then it's actually preferential above that too. It's only 10%. And then it goes to uh, 15%. So dividends are great. But you have to remember that ultimately it's paid for from the profits of the organization. And if they're paying you lots of money, that means they're not investing in the organization you know, that makes my spidey sense tingle a little bit. Well, that's what happened with me, OG, was I was thinking about this as well. When he said 14%, I was like, whoa, whoa. record scratch. Like, hold on. And traditionally, and I could be wrong here, but traditionally the types of stocks that pay that type of dividend are pipelines where the infrastructure is already in. So they're, they're just throwing off all of the income to everyone. Uh, shipping companies where they've already purchased the ships. They, again, are throwing off the income to all of the shareholders. And a few other companies like that. There's sometimes some quirky ones. As an example, uh, traditionally- yeah, real estate would be one. Yeah, Cedar Fair, which was, you know, is an amusement company, but has also traditionally been a real estate company in a lot of ways. They also- threw off for a long time a really big dividend before realizing they were a theme park and well we generally lose money so when you when when we look at these types of companies though they are organized as a limited partnership lots of them and that's what you're going to want to check for 
is when I see a big dividend, a lot of the time I see limited partnership. And what that means is you're not going to get a 1099, a regular 1099 with your dividend. No, no, sir. You're going to get something called a K1. You get a special thing. Hey, Joe, when do K1s show up? Whenever the hell they want them to show up. <laughs> is that generally after you file your income taxes? Usually the day after <laughs> you file your income taxes, do you get a K-1? Yes, indeed. K-1s are the biggest pain in the butt in investing. And uh, whenever possible, I just try to stay away from them. And I learned that the hard way, by the way, with Cedar Fair, Adam. I was an investor in Cedar Fair. I saw an amusement park that was well-run, had good cash flow, was actually growing at the time, and uh, was paying a six-point-something percent dividend. I was like, wow. This is a steal. And what they did was stole my uh, tax reporting because I had to file a whole separate form as well, which had all my K-1 stuff. Yeah. And the other thing to, to remember too is when you see, oh my gosh, that's paying a 14% dividend, that percentage is calculated by share price. I mean, the, the reality is, is that you can't spend percentages. You know, you spend cash. A lot of times we see high dividends when stock prices go down because they'll, they'll keep the dividend payout the same. You're getting $2 a share, but the stock has gone from 20 bucks down to five. That payout, you know, the percentage is higher now because, because of the fact that the share price has gone down. There's some other downstream effects, like I said, beyond just, uh, I'm getting this gravy train of 14%. You know, you, you <laughs> in that, in that example, you lost 75% of your money, <laughs> but, but you're, but you're, Hey, I'm getting a 20% dividend. Yes. But the account value is down 75%. So just be careful that you're counting all things when it comes to return cap gains, dividends, it's all the same return. It's just how it comes to you. Thanks again for the question. If you've got a question for us, we will also send as a big thank you for an awesome question like Adams. We'll send you some awesome Stacking Benjamin swag. StackingBenjamins.com slash voicemail gets you there. And uh, we're happy to answer your question. If you don't have just a question about dividend reinvesting, it's more about why am I in this in the first place? And how does this work as part of my plan? OG and his team are taking clients. So head on over to StackingBenjamins.com slash OG. And that's the link to his team's calendar. And we'll set up a first meeting, which is the first step to seeing how his team can interface with you to make better decisions in the future. All right. Time here for many of our favorite segment of the show, but it's hard to beat Charles Duhigg and that awesome headline. But it's time for our back porch segment, which is the community part of the show. We talk about all the fun stuff you stackers are talking about. And right now, Doug, I think uh, everybody's wondering, well, we're in the second round of the 2024 math joke off. We're in round two. So what do you want to do first? Do you want to cover who won last weeks yes. before we yeah, do the next do pairing? Okay. Absolutely. We have results from last week's. It was a close one, man. I mean, this was, this is good. And it was a one seed versus a nine seed. And it was a great game. Took it right down to like the final, like 30 seconds of the game before one joke took the lead. So here they are. Mm. Do you want me to read both of them or do you want to do, let's have you do the one seed and I'll do the nine seed. All right. Zach sent us the number one seed. Zach. I just lost my job at the bank. Lady asked me to check her balance, so I pushed her over. It's great. It's got physical comedy. It's also a little bit of a mind teaser. All right? the pieces. You gotta think it through. It's a good joke. But here's the nine seed. 
I saw my math teacher with a piece of graph paper yesterday. I think he must be plotting something. That was from Jen with two N's. Yeah. And there we go. Some a classic dad joke material right, right there, Doug. Yeah. And uh, so we've got the results in. It was a tight, tight race. The nine seed pulled in 52% of the vote. Wow. So we have a big upset. One seed, just like Purdue every year, out of the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you care. <laughs> I'm so terrified for this year's tournament. And so going to the final four is uh, Jen's joke. Nice job, Jen. Jen's taken home a couple more books from recent guests and has a chance now. One in four jokes left. But we'll go down to the way far end, Doug, of the pairings and we've got a number seven seed versus a 14 yeah so uh how about you take the seven seed oh give you the higher seeds we got a classic one versus a little uh play on words so this is uh from jeff what's the difference between taxes and taxidermy one's cruel and inhumane the other deals with dead animals and uh, i've got a joke from seth probably seth myers i'm thinking Prob- i'm sure uh yeah big fan 14 of the show. seed hear about the constipated mathematician he worked it out with a pencil. All-time humdinger right there, Seth. <laughs> All right, Jeff and Seth, uh, those are the two. You're going to see that Karen puts those up for us. And if you vote, you probably want to vote on, on Wednesday. You want to vote today. If you listen to this today, get there and vote as quick as you can because we record a little early. And um, depending on our recording schedule, sometimes we only have, well, for this one, how many, how many did we have? How many votes? Yeah. 55 votes. Yeah. 55 votes decided it. You owe it to your country to vote, people. And then after that, <laughs> you owe it to vote on the joke off. If you're going to be a citizen of the basement, it's your responsibility. You need to vote. Otherwise, the bad joke's going to win. It'll be a joke until next year that that joke had to stand as the best we could come up with as a community. Well, the best, hey, the can best I, math uh, joke. Can I slide one in there? Oh, yeah. Now that, now that you're done with everybody else's. Time for another OG flex while we're doing it. Yeah. OG just sits like a lion in the tall grass while we go through all of this. And then he pounces right at the end. Go joke boy. Did you guys know that uh, plastic surgery used to be such a taboo subject? Now you can talk about Botox and nobody raises an eyebrow. (laughs) When does a joke become a dad joke? Don't know. Don't know. When the punchline is a parent. Oh, God. And on that note. Yeah, we got to stop it. We got to segue into one other thing, which is probably the biggest thing. And that is that we finally, finally have a Stacking Benjamins local meetup group, Doug. Egan, Minnesota. Tonight, Joe. Are you ready? Are you there? Are you hopping on a plane like any second? Man, it's going to be so fun. We're giving away books. We are giving away stickers. We are giving away swag. We're going to have a great party that I was, I was in Minnesota a week ago and I was not invited to this meetup because you didn't come to any of the planning meetings. I need to just be told where to go. I don't, I don't Veronica and Dan and Chris and Mike work their butt off and big, by the way, big thanks to them. Our uh, twin cities contingent that created this, they've done a lot of the hard work. Uh, Stacy and I just are trying to help them. You're going to get to experience Doug's trivia tonight. Wait, Doug's going? It's kind of Douglas trivia. See what I did there? Huh? Uh, Real name Douglas? Uh, but it's 
L-A-S-S instead of L-E-S-S. Clever. And I said Douglas. Trivia. Douglas. Doug ain't going to be there. Yes. Unfortunately, I will not be there either. But we are having, uh, we are going to, uh, you know what, buy you maybe a drink as well while you're there. So um, uh, whether you prefer a foamy or non-foamy beverage, uh, first one's on us. So come come hang out. Absolutely. Going to be a great time. Uh, Where again? Where is it? It's at Union 32 in Egan, Minnesota. I love Joe when when we're recording these and you announce stuff we're buying for our fans. And I love watching OG's face whenever you say that. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What we're doing? What? Huh? And that's why we don't invite OG to the, OG meeting. to the meetings. Like what yeah. We decided the accounting team. I see. We decided to spend your money on the good people of the twin cities who deserve it. That's true. All right. I uh, hope you guys can make it. Uh, looking forward to seeing the pictures and hearing about how fun that was. And we're going to do it every month there. So be on the lookout for more meetups in the future. You can find out when and where those are in the 201 newsletter, and you'll also get details in our Basement Facebook group. Doug, I think that's it for today, man. That's it. So much to learn. What could possibly be the top three things on this list? I'm going to give you three. First, take some advice from Charles Duhigg and begin working on the soft skills of communication today. It seems easy, but great communication is difficult-er. Yeah. Second, insurance, probably time to get quotes on your home, renters, and auto insurance again. But what's the biggest to do? Someone ought to invent some sort of directory with people's photos next to their names so we can remember who everyone is, like a like a book of faces. God, do I have to think of everything around here? Thanks to Charles Duhigg for joining us today. You can find his book, Super Communicators, wherever books are sold. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. I need to change it up. I always say, I always say stackingbenjamins.com. And I gotta, I just gotta think of a new way to say that. Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. <laughs> That's it. I want to go with that. <laughs> We're going to include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. I like it. It's energy. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2024, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. This show is written by Lisa Curry, who's also the host of the Long Story Long podcast, with help from me, Joe, Kate Youngkin, Karen Repine, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just visit stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Wonder how beautiful we all are? Of course you do, but you'll never know if you don't check out our YouTube version of the show, engineered by Tina Eichenberg. Then you'll see once and for all that I'm the best thing going for this podcast. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude, Stacy Doe, and Julia Garib are our social media coordinators. And Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. 
For more interactive fun, join us on Instagram every Tuesday and Thursday for our Instagram Lives. Kate Yonkin and Joe host those weekly. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.